one last thing before I want to say, before I read this first text, is when we were at this event yesterday, Beth Moore, man, that, that girl can preach, right? So she's just going after it, and she kept going, she kept saying this one thing, which I thought was, which was amazing. She just going, she kept saying, um, man, does anyone feel me right now? right? Does anyone understand what I'm saying? And so everyone's like cheering and there's amens and stuff. And I like that, right? Uh, and so I've said this here before, but if, if there's something going on in the text and you're feeling that, feel free to give some affirmation to the word of God and get, toss an amen in there. Let's get crazy, right? Let's just go wild with an amen or two. And I've always said this, if you disagree with something I say, then just be quiet, right? <laughs> I don't want to hear it. Okay. So Matthew 19. Now, this is not our text for the day. We're going to circle back to that, but I want to start with this story. I think this story will help us understand how heavy and weighty and necessary it is for you and for me to take its words seriously. So here we go. Matthew 19, verse 16. And behold, a man came up to him, him being Jesus, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. Now he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to Jesus, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, this is a devastating story. Like, if, if you were there in the moment, like, you're just like, awkward, right? Like, this just feels tense. So this guy goes up, and, and it seems like his heart is in the right place. He desires to know Jesus. So, he, hey, Jesus, like, what do I got to do to be yours? Like, how, how do I get eternal life? How do I become part of your family who gets to go to heaven and rejoice, and it's all great? What, what do I need to do? And he says, man, keep the commandments. What are those commandments? And similar to what we've already studied throughout the first part of the Sermon on the Mount, right? Do not steal. Don't commit adultery. So and Christ going deeper, right, in the heart of the law to say it's about the internal, not the external. We've covered that. And so he's saying the same thing again to this guy. Keep Keep the commandments, do what is right. And the guy's like, well, I've done that, so I'm good, right? And you can imagine the hope in this guy's heart. Jeez, what must I do? Just do this, and you're in. He's like, well, I've done that. So then Jesus says, but there's something I think you're missing. And I think the guy acknowledges. He says, well, I've done all that, but so what, what am I still missing? Like, he realizes there's a piece of this that just isn't working out correctly. And Jesus says, well, here's what it is. You're a rich guy. Right? And what you need to do is you need to go take all the stuff you have, you need to sell it, and you need to give it away to the poor. Right? What a, what a total bummer for this guy. He's like, I'm, I'm all about you, and then now I have nothing, and that's what you want for my life. And so I, I just imagine being there and just being, God, this is so tense. I don't know what to do. And so he walks away sorrowful because he had lots of possession, lots of money, lots of things, and would not be willing to give that up. It says even it's, it's so hard for a rich person 
to go to heaven that it's harder than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now, maybe some of you have been in church for a while. You've heard a story about this camel going through an eye of a needle before, right? That on the outside of the city walls, there was this special gate that was called the eye of the needle, right? And this camel, in order, it had to like take off its baggage and leave its burdens behind. And then they had to put it on its knees, right? So it would be prostrate before. And then literally the camel people, I don't know what they're called, the camelers, and then they would grab him by the rope, and they would have to pull him through, right? And you get this beautiful picture of Jesus. You, he takes off our burdens. We go down on our knees, and he pulls us through the gate into safety. That's all fake and not true. I'm serious. So if you've heard that, great illustration, but just totally wrong. It's just saying this is how difficult it is. This is how hard it is for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. There, the text would say, it's impossible. We'll find out later how the rest of the story concludes. But man, what a heavy moment for this guy. And the reason why I bring up that story this morning is I wonder what would be different for this guy if he was able to be there during the Sermon on the Mount. And maybe he was, and maybe he just checked out. Maybe like a buddy was whispering in his ear, and he missed this part of Scripture we'll look at today. But I just wonder if he truly came and sat at the feet of Christ and allowed the work of God's word to go forth, pierce him, shape him, conform him, that when he gets to this moment, he's not even asking the question because he had already given up his possession, sold what he had, and his heart was only desiring the kingdom of God. Uh, so, so my hope is, is that we learn from his story so that as we're here this morning, we would say, okay, this is real. Like, I need to think through this, so I'm not asking that question later. That we would allow these harsh realities of what does it mean to follow Jesus become real for us, and not just something that we take and fly by the seat of our pants, but say, man, this means something for what it means to be a Christian in the kingdom of God. And so, um, yeah. The problem with what we'll look at today is that money, although, and it is going to be the very specific thing that we look at, it is, a, uh, it is one thing in a myriad of things that take over our lives and take over our eyes and take over our ears and take over our bodies and take over our hearts and our emotions and become the most ultimate thing in our life. We call these idols, right? We practice idolatry. Calvin would say that our hearts are idol factories, right? That we're constantly producing new things to worship over God. So Jesus is going to use money. And I, here's, here's why I think he does this. Because I think he realized, just like it is now, it was then that money seems to be maybe the most gripping, compelling idol of the day. Right, like it, it's just this thing, and all the things that are tied in with money, the security of it, the, the stuff, what can I do with the money? What does this allow for me to have? I'm not fearful because I have money. I don't need to worry about others because I have money. I don't need to be an imposition on others because I have my money. I can buy what I want because I have my money, and on and on and on and on. And what does that cause to do is chase all these different things. And I think he knows just the way this is a big problem for a consumeristic society like ours, and honestly, in many ways, a consumeristic church like the church in America and around the, and around the world, it's not just a problem here. But this is a big deal. So I think it's like, hey, if we can tackle this one, if we, if we can get maybe the most difficult one figured out, then, then maybe the rest will fall in line a little bit easier. Okay, so our culture 
is constantly telling you accumulation is the key, right? That, that if your future, you want to be secure, you want to have all things, excuse me, that we just said, accumulate, right? Get more stuff, get more things, get more money, larger bank account, et cetera, et cetera. If you, and, it, and it goes beyond money now, even, right? So if you're on Facebook, get more followers, right? Get more friends. It's always get more of this so finally, I guess you'll reach a certain number where then you'll be satisfied, Right? Has anyone done that with any of their social medias? They're like, hey, I, I, I broke a thousand friends, so now life is fine. Like, I'm good now. Like, all the pain of yesterday is gone because I just reached 500 followers, right? Some of you are like, 500, you, you're a loser, right? You're just like, I got 10,000 followers. It is a culture of accumulation. It's mine, it's take, it's grab, it's keep. The Bible is give, it's don't accumulate, it's trust God, it's this is not that important, it's exactly the opposite of what we see in our culture today. And so the reality is, I think, honestly, as we talk about money, this is why it's always so awkward. Like if, if you've been coming to church for a while, honestly, there's probably some of you in the room where you left church because your church talked too much about money, right? And every week was like, hey, we've got another love offering, right? We've got to fill the thermometer. You know what I mean? Like that thing is not nearly, we haven't reached the top of the thermometer yet. And so when we get there, then the building fund is done, right? And so, so some of you left church, and so you're coming back today, you're like, great, I'm back for one week, and they're talking money. No, no, no. This is a symptom of the soul. It's a symptom of the heart. And we're ultimately talking about Jesus. Like, I'm ultimately asking you guys today, who is your master? You hear me? Like, I'm ultimately asking you today, who is the Lord of your life? Who do you serve? The text will ask again. Jesus will ask this again, but I'm going to say it right now because I want your mind to go there as we go through the text. Who do you serve? Like, in every minute of every day of your life, as you're navigating this world and making decisions, who is your authority? It's either God or it's something else, and if it's something else, that is idolatry. That is, that is not the way this world, you or I, were created to function should we desire him and the life that he promises. Amen? I feel like I'm not, do you guys disagree with everything? Because I, I asked for amens, and this is just weird. Okay, there, okay, okay. Good for, who is that? Nice, Curtis. It's <laughs> a cute voice. Um, some statistics on money, Okay. Um, some commentators, commentators say as much as 15% of what Christ says is about money. 15% of all of this, the red letters in your Bible, Jesus talking about money. And so he knew something that I think we should not shy away from. Okay? Um, uh, some others Christians own more now significantly and give less today per capita than during the Great Depression. Okay? During the Great Depression, now like uh, some of you, like I don't know, if, is there anyone in here who was alive during the Great Depression? I, that would be amazing. No. But if you've studied it, crazy time. If you've seen Cinderella Man, that's my reference, right? Um, bad time, right? People couldn't get milk, right? People couldn't afford to feed their families. People were shipping out their kids. These things were happening, and yet in that time, per capita, the church, people were giving away more money than they do in our country today. That's got to, that's, please let that baffle your mind. 
How do we do that? Like, we have more now than ever before. The cumulative total of the amount of money and income that comes into Christian people in our country is literally in the multiple billions of dollars. And we give less now, not just to the church, but to charitable organizations, to organizations doing work in our world to better it and cause a greater flourishing in our world for God's glory. We give less now than during the Great Depression. The average Christian in America gives 2% of their income, okay? 2% of their income with almost 25% giving $0 to anything not themselves, okay? 25% of Christians in America giving $0 to anything not themselves. That's daunting, giving what we read about giving and generosity in the New Testament. The last one is, this one was just baffling to me. Okay? And this is like a, this is a big shout out to my college students. Way to go. Okay? If you make less than 20000 a year, okay? <laughs> that's the first time that's ever happened. <laughs> Woo-hoo-hoo! 11000 a year. Um, if you make less than twenty k a year, you are eight times more likely to give than those making seventy five k or more. Okay? So if you make less than 20,000, you are eight times more likely to give than someone who makes almost four times what you make. Okay. There's something messed up with that stat. Okay. So, so I paint this broad brush, and there's statistic after statistic after statistic that we can look at, right? And, and right, 60% of statistics are wrong anyway, so maybe everything I told you was false. But... What I'm trying to paint the picture of is it, it doesn't look good for us. So if we were to take, hey, hey, Jesus, here we go. If we were to have that conversation with Christ now, if we jump into Matthew 19 and say, hey, Jesus, hey, man, what do I need to do? What's going on? And here's what I've got behind me. And we're the church coming before Christ. We're the bride of Christ saying, well, here's what we have to show you. On average, most of our people give about 2%, but about 25% of us give nothing. All the, the people that make kind of a lot more money than the rest of us who don't, yeah, they're eight times less likely to give. And on and on and on with the statistics. I, I just wonder what he would say to the church today. I, I think he'd be like, look, you want to follow me? Go and sell your possession. Be generous. Give away the things that you think will save you in this world that will not. Stop investing in the treasure of this world and start investing in the treasure of heaven. I, I think that, I mean, right, he's not here, so um, I, we can't ask him, but the scripture seems to point us to this reality. And, and I, I often want to tell you this. I, I am just as guilty of this, right? Like, I am not like a beacon of Christian generosity. Like, this, is, this needs to form everyone here in, in this room, it needs to form everyone in our city who loves Christ. It needs to form everyone in our world who loves Jesus. Because I think it would start to speak something. I think it would start to communicate something about where our hope is and who our master is. So that's, why, that's why we're talking money, because it reveals what do we believe about God. Is he truly our master? What do we believe about the gospel? Is it good? And on down the line. Okay? So here we go. Verse 19, finally to the text. 
Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. C.S. Lewis has a brilliant quote. Many of you might have heard of it. He says, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Okay, so aim at heaven, you get it all that comes down, right? But if you aim here, you miss everything. Love that idea. And it's really just a regurgitation of what Jesus just told us. Stop investing in these treasures here in this world where moth and rust destroy and start investing Start seeking the treasure that comes eternally, okay? Like, it's not a complex issue. There's not a lot of commentary to add to this. Stop caring, stop investing all of your time, your energy, your thoughts, and we're going to nuance this a bit, everything into achieving status, wealth, and prosperity here because you're going to miss it all at the end of the day, okay? This is a, this is a heavy, heavy charge. Now, I just want to ask something super practical, and I, I, let's get show of hands. Like, let's get interactive today. So if, if I ask you the question, okay, I just a quick poll of people. Um, you can have $100 today, okay, or $1 trillion next week, okay? Who's going with the trillion? Come on, come on, come on. Okay, who's going with the 100 today? Amber, dang girl, all right, good. I don't know what to do with that. Okay, so um, Amber's getting baptized, we'll fix that. Uh, No, so here's the issue. Most of us, are thinking, okay, it's, it's, it's a week down the road, right? So, so if, if the, the option is 100 bucks today, Vince, or a trillion next week, I, we're probably going trillion. Now, I, I don't know why, why Amber, you're, you're being crazy, you're ruining my illustration, um, but my thought is, right, there's an immediate need probably right now, and that 100 bucks would become probably pretty beneficial or something like that, I don't know, but here's what I'm saying. From this week to next week does not even come close to what this life is to eternity. Like, and, and, and they're just like, well, obviously, man, like, no kidding. But do you get that? Like, I don't know how many years you and I have on this earth. God does. He's numbered them, right? So, so hopefully there's 50, 60 more in my direction. That'd be fantastic. So in the next 50 or 60 years, that's, that's all I have to wait for an eternal treasure that lasts forever, Right, so I mean, we we I should probably say, hey, you know, I can give you a hundred dollars or or infinite amount of money tomorrow. I mean, that even that doesn't come close to the analogy. This is but a blip on the radar, on the timeline. The eighty years, eighty plus, whatever that we all have here, it is, it is minute, minuscule. And so why, why pour all this energy, all this time into this one section of your life, which is but a dot on a page that runs forever? Like just even logically, it makes no sense, and yet we fall hook, line, and sinker all the time. And then he just gives this real practical evidence. The reality is, listen, the stuff, you can't take it with you. Like you've heard that before. Whenever you're being buried with your stuff, you don't like come back in heaven and all of a sudden you're holding your favorite baseball card. Right? None of you guys collect baseball cards, do you? You're just like, that's like my, my generation. All right. 
I don't know, what do you guys, Pokemon. <laughs> you can't bring your cell phone. Like it's, you can't bring this stuff with you. It's just gonna, like literally, and it, it won't even last, to be honest, like a phone is gonna last you like two years. You're gonna drop it tomorrow, it'll last you like 24 hours. And yet you pour so much money, so much time, so much joy and desire. So, in stuff. When you lose it and you don't have it, it robs your joy. I'm gonna share a story with someone in the room. They don't know I'm doing this, but I'm not gonna say their name. We were on a trip once. I see this guy, and he had bought some stuff. He was really excited about this stuff. And it was some stuff that was, like, hard to replace because we were in a foreign country, okay? And so it was, like, these souvenirs and these little things and stuff like that. And he set it down, and we took a photo, and he turned around, and the, and the bag was missing, and he lost his stuff. And he, could, he was, starts freaking out. He's like, where's my stuff? And he's, like, so angry and so upset. We're like, hey, man, are you okay? He's like, you know, you know when you ask someone, like, are you okay? And like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm great. Life's awesome. So good. You know? And you're like, dude, you're fooling no one. And then literally like two minutes later, we see our friend, and he's holding the bag. He picked it up for our friend. And all of a sudden, the clouds part, <laughs> right? And the sun comes down, and life is good again, right? Like, no, no, I ask you, like, did anything change about God in those five minutes? Did anything change about my friend's eternal security? Did anything change about the grace, the love that he has, not just from the Lord, but from his friends and family? No. But in that moment, he was in the depths, right? Like he descended to Sheol. And I've had those moments too. I just didn't want to share my story. <laughs> We've all had those moments where all of a sudden, like, we're losing it over a thing. That's not going to last us probably more than the next six months anyway. And they're just little mini revealers of our heart. Little mini signposts as to what we truly care about. Now, it happens, but we need to not just be okay with that. We need to pursue something better. And that's all Jesus is saying here. So none of this is legalistic. None of this is, hey, like you better give this and you better be this amount. And if you don't, you're going. It's not that. It's who do you love? Pursue that with vigor. Go after these things that the Bible calls us. Live this way. Now, as I was thinking through how to kind of lay out these three, there's kind of, what I say, three reasons that, that Christ is going to give to his disciples here of why this is important, to live this type of life, to look towards God and not stuff, specifically money within our text. Okay, and, and here's what, and, and maybe he's not doing this. And, and honestly, I probably should have talked to Mark, who's just like an Old Testament guru on this one, right? But um, I think this is kind of a neat lens with which to lay over this. Because he's talking to his disciples who were Jewish, right? So these are Jewish followers who knew the Old Testament, knew the law, knew the Torah. And I think he's bringing that into this situation. If, if even not, obviously, um, uh, outwardly, but maybe just convicting on their heart level. And so there's something in Deuteronomy chapter 6 called the Shema. 
Now, now the Jews, okay, even to this day, Orthodox Jews, will, this is kind of the, the start of their central prayer, okay? And I want to read this verse to you, Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, and it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So in other words, this is, like, God is ours. The, the Lord, Yahweh, Elohim, he is our God. He is the only God for us. And so it is answering on the front end the question we've already asked of who is our master, Israel, God, you're our master, you're our Lord. That starts off then verse five. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And, and I just wonder if Jesus, as he brings on these next three reasons, is just kind of referencing this idea to a Jewish crowd to say, hey, you, you know how you're supposed to, it, it's about what's internal, right? It's about the way we love God. It's been the thrust of the Sermon on the Mount. It's about what do you do with God who is supposed to be your Lord? You love him with all your heart, soul, and might. And so as he goes through these, I'll show you, hopefully, I think that these kind of line up. Jesus employs this idea multiple times throughout the New Testament, but specifically in Luke 10, another person comes to him and asks the same question we saw in Matthew 19, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He says to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And so I, I just, again, I just wonder, is this what Christ is unearthing for us? And so let's look at the first one, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your hearts will be also. So I think maybe he's addressing this, this first idea. This word is the word cardia, which literally means center, the middle of you. The thing that is the driving force and thrust for your emotions, your feelings, your wants, and your desires. For where those things are. For where your treasure, sorry, where your treasure is, that which you want, right? Your heart, your desires will come in line with those things. Whatever you identify as, as the ultimate thing, as that thing that you so strive for, your heart, your clinging to will be right there. And so I think through my, my wife and kid, honestly, I was, I don't, uh, maybe I was just saying it to myself this morning during prayer, I don't know. But I'm thinking to myself about, honestly, just today and praying over Sunday, and I, I realized like my favorite part of Sundays, like hands down, my favorite part of Sundays is usually when, when I get done, I go off to the side, you know, Anthony usually comes up and does a little response time and stuff, um, and, and I'll stand over there, and at some point, uh, my awesome wife, um, wherever she is, will come up, and I'll see her pass me, and she kind of smiles, and she'll go to the back room, and she'll get my son, little, little two-year-old Finley, many of you've seen him, and he's perfect, right, and so she, he grabs him, and then they walk out, and then we take communion, and we get to sing and worship Jesus together, like, I, I tell you what, like, Every week, that is like the highlight moment of my life, is singing and praising God with my wife and son, okay? So my treasure is that moment, right? So I do things to intentionally live for that moment. So in other words, if Verity and I got in a huge fight this morning because I was a jerk about something, which never happens, but say in a hypothetical, I did something wrong, okay? Um, <laughs> And, I, and there is no forgiveness, there is no reconciliation, there is no love, right? I'm not serving her during the week, I'm not caring for her. That moment is lost because we come to that moment not unified. We come to that moment in discord, frustration, anger, whatever it may be. 
So, so, so no, 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 every interaction that I have with her leads to this moment that I so crave and long and desire for to be a special moment for me in my week. The way I invest in my son, the way that during the week we sing the songs that we'll sing here on Sundays so that in that moment he hears things that he knows and recognizes so we can sing and he can be engaged in worship. I make decisions Monday through Saturday for five to ten minute moment every Sunday. I think this is kind of this idea. So if our treasure is money or stuff or status or insert your idol, it is not just that moment that you are in sin. It's not just that moment that you're committing idolatry. Your life, your heart becomes encapsulated and pursues what it means to have that moment at all costs. And she'll begin to navigate and to do things and they'll seem, you know, kind of small and ambiguous and not that big a deal. But you're living for the wrong moment. You're living for the wrong treasure. The treasure that is promised to us eternal is forever and it's far greater. And so then that means that if we long for that treasure, which is promised by Christ, who's never told a lie, always kept his promises. If we live for that treasure, it influences Every moment of your life, your heart gets engaged, the way you feel, your emotions, how you interact with those around you. It is all part of this. It's not just a moment. It is your life. I think that's reason number one. Love the Lord God with all your heart. We need to move. I'm sorry. Uh, verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So this word soul in the Hebrew is this word nefesh, okay? And it literally just means like a breathing creature, like a, like a being, right? Like your whole being. And so what, if we lay this, or I think what he's saying is, okay, so your eyes are the lamp. They light up and illuminate what is all happening head to toe. Your very being, your character, your identity is illuminated by your lights. What you take in, what you perceive, your worldview, the vision for your life influences your very being. And so if your eyes and your vision and your hope and what you gaze upon, again, treasure, if that is money and or, again, insert your idol, it does not just corrupt your heart and what you feel, the emotions there within, it literally corrupts your identity, your character. I mean, it wrecks us from head to toe as we pursue these things that are not God. And it shows, it shows to the world. All the world, you, you want to know why? I think you get more arguments and fights with the people who are closest to you, husbands, wives, maybe you understand this, right? Like I, I fight and have argued and disagreed more with Verity than anyone else in my life, yet I love her the most because she is so close to seeing the darkness that is in me. Because I, I chase after things that are not God time in and time out. 
And that comes out and expresses itself in my relationships and in my life. Okay. So again, what, what are your eyes for? Not just what is your heart long for? I mean, that's such a kind of a but, like what are you passionate? No, that's just what are you passionate about? What do your, what your eyes see and they cling to and say, yeah, that's, that's, that's it, okay? That's what I want. I was watching a special last night in this devastating story of a, uh, a man who was on 48 Hours. This guy was engaged, was having a marriage, coming up with, uh, with a gal, you know, that he loved or whatever and realized he didn't have enough money to pay for the honeymoon. And so long story short, he, uh, he murders his best friend and neighbor and frames him by murdering another girl who was tutoring that guy so that he could steal his money so that he would be able to pay for a honeymoon. Like that's literally his motive. His motive was I needed money for my honeymoon so I killed my best friend and then killed his tutor so I can frame him for the job and I can take his money. Like that's it, right? And, and so we sit back, we're like that's just crazy. That's sin, Maybe, right? And they didn't, they, it wasn't, they didn't give him like the insanity plea, right? So this dude was of, 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 of uh, whatever that mind thing is, right? So he knew what he was doing. Sin corrupts to the deepest parts of us. He had such a formed opinion about what his honeymoon must look like, what his life must look like, what his marriage must look like, what his relationship must look like. And it ate away at the image of God that was put on him when he was created. Okay? What are our eyes for? He saw an opportunity, corrupted his soul, and now he's in prison. Okay? The last one, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and sexuality. You cannot serve God and status. You cannot serve God and, again, please insert your idol or idols. You can't have both. You cannot serve God and yourself. It can't be both. You got to pick. Now, the reality of these lives is we kind of navigate, right? And so in one moment, we pick us, and the next moment, we pick Jesus. And then the next moment, we're like, ah, I'll pick you on this one, because this one seems to also come in line with what I want. Convenient. We are constantly having to wrestle with this idea of might, okay? The word might Again, is me'od, could be translated your energy and your ability. So what do you give your energy and ability to? Your time, your resource, your faculties, what you invest in physically day to day. In other words, how you live your life here. Who do you live it for? So some of you, right, I, I think most of us probably in the room, not all of us, are, we, we, we love Jesus. We just do, right? He saved our souls, right? So we'll come, we sing the songs and things like that. Is he the master and the Lord of your life? In other words, can he say no and you'll listen? Or can he say yes and you'll listen? Yes, go talk to that person. Yes, give away your money. Yes, sell your possessions and go and live for something greater than yourself. 
Can he say yes and you have to listen? If the answer is no to that question, he is not the master of your life. Okay. No, don't do that. No, listen, don't, don't sleep around. No, don't sleep with your boyfriend or girlfriend before marriage. No, don't get drunk and debauched. No, don't cuss out a friend or an enemy. Either one, doesn't matter, don't be doing that. No, don't experience anger welling up in your heart. No, don't live in unforgiveness. No, don't gossip, slander, experience malice, frustration, hate. No, 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 no. If you cannot say, okay, Lord, then I will, I will let that go, then yeah, he's not your master. He's just a guy that you want to stand at the bouncer's door and let you into heaven. And that's not what we're called to. That's not what sent Christ to the cross. We're wasting the cross in some ways, I think. I'm gonna read this last passage. In the midst of a hard text, as I was reading this this week and experiencing just what we saw yesterday, the gospel coming in and just changing lives. I mean, again, women that like have been walking a different path for 90 years and the spirit came in and just was like, hey, I'm real and I love you and this is what I've done. And so this, this second part to Matthew 19 is the best possible news for any person in this world ever, Okay because it doesn't allow us to sit in the condemnation that I think we naturally would experience when we just get told we're not that great. Okay. And so let's keep reading. Verse 25. When the disciples heard this, okay, again, they, like Jesus sent the guy away. Sell your when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus, and, and man, those words, right, but God or but Jesus, like those are the, they're the two best words in scripture because it's usually like, you're terrible, but God, right? You're, but God. So, but Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, what? All things are possible. Okay, okay. How then can we be saved? Like, how, what do we do with this reality of, like, God, you've called us this insane ethic of us living our life, pouring out for the others, trusting in you to provide, selling everything we got and giving away, doing, how do we now, I mean, how do we even do this well? Not by your strength. Not by anything you can do. By your hands, all things are impossible. With God, all things are possible. Verse 27, then Peter said in reply, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? So if you're, if you're thinking to yourself like, yeah, but I don't, I'm not gonna give away everything, right? This sounds crazy. So Peter says, we gave away everything, right? And, if, if we, and we came, so what do we have now? Verse 28, Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me, will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Okay, so 
This is really good news for us this morning. Because the ethic of Scripture, the way it calls for us to live, is devastatingly difficult and, dare I say, just silly for us to take part in if this is not true. If the true treasure is not that we get to be reunited with God himself for the rest of time, There's a great book called God is the Gospel. And it just, it, it just talks about this, this idea of like the hope, the reason why we believe. Listen, it's not so you don't go to hell. It's so you get God. Like you, you do you understand? Like, so what they had in the garden, yeah, they had, I mean, it was awesome. I'm guessing, right? Like if, if there were no, it was perfect. They could eat anything. They're in perfect community. They just run around naked. Like, it was just incredible, right? Some of you are like, that's terrifying, right? <laughs> they didn't know back then, okay? It was perfect. But they had God. Like, that's what made the garden perfect. That's what made Jesus come to this world was not that you and I would get a lot of stuff, honestly, in this world or in the next. It's that we get him. It's that he would get to be our master forever, now and in eternity. So is God a treasure for you is my question this morning. Like, Do you treasure Christ? Do you treasure not just what he's done, but who he is? Do you treasure the person that is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior? That, that's what I, that's the gospel. That's what allows this stuff to work. It's not trying harder. It's not getting baptized. It's do you treasure the Lord Jesus Christ? And I hope we do, because as we do, I think, not just individually, but corporately, man, I, I think that means that things will change. I think that that means we'll influence our culture. I think that means that problem after problem after problem, the church can come in, and in God's common grace, we can help solve. But it has to start with, do we treasure Jesus above all things in life? So we're going to land today, and every week we move into a time of response. And so we get to do this really cool thing called baptism. And baptism is, honestly, like I remember my baptism so vividly. And, and, and friends were there, and we, we were uh, in my friend's jacuzzi in her backyard. I got baptized with some other friends, you know, and, and people were cheering. And it was just this, this moment of, that I still look back on and say, man, there's something about that day. I don't think something magical happens. I don't think I was more saved. I certainly wasn't more saved afterwards. But it was this beautiful picture in, in just a moment of what Christ had done in my life. It was this beautiful affirmation that Jesus was my Lord now, that Jesus was my master that Jesus was the ultimate treasure of my life. And I wanted him more than anything the rest of this world could offer me. And it was an incredible,
incredible thing, and I long for that moment for many of you who don't know him. We have a, a few people, I think, that have, that have already signed up, you know, to come up and be baptized today. And so I'm actually going to invite you now to, if you want to get up and go change, if you need to change, if you don't need to change, then just hang out for a little bit longer, okay? But if you need to go change right now, you know, the bathroom's located in the back, and so you can go do that, okay? Um, but I want to make a call, if you will, okay? Like, th- there's some of you, and I know some of your faces, and you've been coming to this church even, you've been coming on Sundays for a while now. And, and I know some of your stories, and some of you, some of you are Christians, and I know you haven't done this yet. And, and I'm just at, why? And, and, and if, if it's your answer in the question, because he, listen, he's not the treasure of my life, okay, then, then don't force this. But, but if you're here and you love Jesus, he is your Lord and Savior, and you haven't done this yet, gosh, do this today. Hear me, this has nothing to do, I have zero desire to have like another tally on baptism amount at our church. I have a huge desire for you to experience more of God. I have a huge desire for you to tell the world, this is who I belong to, this is my master, this is my treasure, that's my desire for you. And so for those Christians in the room, listen, you've been walking this life, you love, come on up, listen. And if you're like, well, dude, that sounds crazy because I'm wearing, you know, pants and stuff. We've got shorts, came prepared, and we got shirts, and you'll have time to change. And honestly, no joke, this is the warmest this water has been in years, okay? Like we've been cooking this sucker, we put some carrots in there, like it's just basting. It's amazing. If you're here and, and you're a Christian, okay, and you've been baptized, come forward, okay, when, when we say to you, come forward, talk to us for just a moment, get some change of clothing, go change, and let's do this. Now, to, to my other group, okay, um, if you came today, and honestly, I know a few of you here too who've been coming week after week. And I know at least you have yet to express to me your love for Christ, your faith, your belief in him. And understanding that what he did on the cross accomplished everything for you that you could not. That what was impossible for you to earn your way to God, to go to heaven of your own accord, that was not doable by you, but only by Christ, his death, and his sacrifice, and his resurrection. I know some of you are here and you've been coming, and so... I, I think maybe today's the day. Like, I, maybe I'm just off a high yesterday, and so I'm altar calling like crazy right now. But hear me. If you love Jesus, there's no better time than literally the second right now to show it. If Christ is your Lord and Savior, if you've made that commitment like two seconds ago as I was screaming, if you made it 30 minutes ago as the word of God did its work as it does and penetrates to the deepest parts of the hearts of man and causes us to see what we could not see. If that happened, there is no better time than right now to tell the world. 
Jesus is my master. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. He's my gospel. He is the good news and the good story for me. And so, listen, if that's your story, again, we got shorts and we got shirts. And in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And we're going to move into a time of short reflection as people get ready to come and be baptized. Okay? I want you to come forward in that moment. To come forward, to walk up here, get a couple moments with us, and we'll give you some clothes. You'll change, and we'll come out and do this. Jesus loves you so much. He loves you so much. And he proved it when he gave his life up for you. It's not a fairy tale. It's just the story of the world. And I want you to be part of it today. The last group I want to address is the rest of us in the room. Christians in the room, right? You've done this, right? You love Jesus, he's Lord, he's master. We're going to respond and we're going to sing. We're going to blow the roof off this thing. Because he's worthy of it. Because things, all things are possible for him. Because he's already done this. He's already made us new. And so we're going to sing. We're going to give. Right? We have boxes located on the top. We give, right? So we talk about this. We give because God will provide, gives us everything, every resource. So we give back in faith. He will always be that for us. We don't need to hoard. We don't need to accumulate. No, we give because God is good and has given us everything. We're going to come up and take communion. Just come take during your time. Uh, people will probably be gathered up here to look at, uh, watch the people get baptized. That's right. Sneak in there. Take some cracker. Remember Jesus what he's done. Remember him in everything. Remember as we look at baptisms. And lastly, if you have anything you need prayer for this morning, okay, anything whatsoever, it doesn't matter what it is, we're going to have some people right over off to the side to pray with you. We have a few people over here. Just come, talk to them, let them know they'll pray for you, okay? Let me pray for us. If you're a Christian and you've yet to be baptized, come on up. If you've already planned to be baptized today, come on up. If, if you're here and you gave your life to Christ today, come, come on up, right? Let's get you dialed in. Let's, let's let the Lord be glorified this morning, amen? amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. You are incredible. We don't deserve, God, anything in this world, and yet you've poured out generously yourself, your blood, God, to make us yours. God, would you become our great treasure? That we would long for more of you. We long for your presence. We long for eternity where we get to do that with you forever. Just, just be in your presence with our brothers and sisters and celebrate together. Heavenly Father, would you come and become the greatest treasure in all of our lives? God, would you come into the lives that are here that don't know you? Would you reach in? Would you transform and make them yours? Would you reveal your goodness, your perfection, your beauty, and your story to their lives in ways they've never seen? Would you remove the scales that would block them? God, would you unplug the ears that they cannot hear you? And God, would they be confronted with the reality that you are Lord and Savior and you love them and want them in the family of God? Heavenly Father, would you come as people get baptized today and would you bless them, Lord? Would you allow this moment not to just be a fleeting moment, but a moment in the defining area and time of their life that shapes everything that they do moving forward? At the end of the day, God, there's just 
absolutely no good we do outside of you. Nothing happens that is good today without your presence, without your spirit moving. And so Holy Spirit, move, transform, and make new life. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. Come in power now as we sing and celebrate, God, and we get to partake in these incredible stories as we dunk those, God, whom you have saved and show the goodness of Christ to the world. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.